0: Well, Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us so dearly and you are with us even in crises. You're with us in calamity that the Bible says that you even start, you even cause calamity. Uh, you are right in all that you do, but you do not abandon us. And we know that, feel that, believe that. Uh, we know that the Savior's finished work on our behalf has not changed because there's a pandemic going on. We still belong to you. You are our father we are your children we are joint heirs with the lord jesus christ and so we cling to those promises lord we do plead with you for your particularly for your church first and foremost around the world we pray for them lord both here and abroad that they would be sustained by your grace and your mercy you would meet the needs you would show them favor in their Countries and their governments, Lord, and the people that they're trying to reach, Lord, uh, us included, we would ask for that as well, Lord, as we all go through this trying time, Lord. But we thank you that you are just as committed to us as you've always been. You told us that these things would happen to the world, that sin would cause all kinds of problems in this world, and so we are not to be surprised at this. In fact, we should. Find that your word is true and know that every aspect of your word, whether it's judgment or plagues or whatever it may be, even as we see today in Exodus twelve, that you you bring these things about and you have control. So we give you praise for those things as well, even while we suffer a little bit, Lord. I do thank you that we have the word of God to turn to. And now, Lord, as we look in, we ask you to open our hearts and our minds. That you would flood this truth. Remind us of great truths. Teach us new things of who you are today. We'll praise you for those things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. We are working through the book of Exodus. We, If you're joining us and haven't been following this series, uh, we worked our way through Genesis and now into the book of Exodus. We've been through nine plagues now together and now we're in a pandemic Uh, but we've learned a lot about God through these times and how he works and why he does things and so if you have not watched this series all of these things are online you go to sermons and you go back and see all of those sermons in Exodus and Genesis that we worked on there this is our midweek Wednesday study but this is a particularly uh, beautiful passage it is the introduction of the Passover and we will spend a few weeks working through chapter 12 and 13 and seeing what god is doing through this but it is basically um, a teaching uh, a window uh, um really a telescope forward to the atonement of the lord jesus christ we we learn so much from what god does here about what he's going to do in such a greater way through the lord jesus christ now the atonement has been under attack it's always under attack and it's unfortunate that it comes even from christian circles and it's been distorted, and, and it, there's always somebody that fights against it. Uh, in, the, in the last few decades, we've seen churches like the Emerging Church, and they've crumbled and fall apart and resurfaced in other churches. These are churches that really reject theology and teaching of the Bible that would have anything contrary to how they feel God should be. Well, these people have attacked the atoning work of Christ. They've attacked penal substitution. And, and what penal substitution means is that God sent his son and he stood in our place to take our penalty, so the wages of sin. And so penal substitution is, is a foundational doctrine to Christianity. Uh, and atonement is, is that God atoned for our sins instead of, uh, through Jesus Christ instead of us having to atone for those which we couldn't have, Jesus Christ atones. And so these things are under attack. One group, and I won't mention their name, I probably should, but um, they called the atonement and penal substitution a vile doctrine built on an occult of suffering and in vind- in a, in a vindictive, vindictive God. The same group, which is now resurfacing in other watery theology, say that the penal substitution and atonement is a form of cosmic child abuse is contrary to Jesus' teaching of nonviolence. This is the way they make this statement. So they want to get rid of anything that has to do with death. Oh my goodness, we're in trouble if that's true. This has always been a problem down through Christendom. Spurgeon had to deal with this. There were uh, people who had attacked his very Christ-centered Uh, very substitutionary death teaching that he did. He preached the Gospels, what he did. And Spurgeon said this about people who were trying to take away the atonement or not want to teach on the blood work of Jesus Christ, his death. He said, we would sooner have our tongues cut out than cease to speak of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That sounds like Spurgeon, doesn't it? Uh, There he's reminding, this is the center of our faith. So the atonement, it is the defining truth of our conversion. Without the atoning work of Christ, we are not converted. And so it deals with the forgiveness of our sins and and the very redemptive work that God did on our behalf. The atonement is a motivating truth for us as well as we live out the Christian life. Galatians 2.20 there says, Who loved me and gave himself for me. He gave himself this propitiatory, atoning, substitutionary work causes Paul to say, I live because he died. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that almost verbatim. I'm living because he died for me. And so atonement is such a precious thing to us as believers. In a word, the atonement is at the heart of our faith. And this is not to say that any other cardinal doctrine is optional because they're not. They all work together to bring about the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ to teach us those things. But they, they converge at the atonement. Every aspect we start to think about the work of the Trinity. The Father planned it. The the Son fulfilled it. The, the Spirit executed it. I mean, I mean, we just see atonement worked within the tr- the Trinity, and you can work down through thing after thing, creation, and the sufficiency of Scriptures. All of that finds its fulfillment in the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we get to the Passover, and the Passover stands as an Old Testament example of not only deliverance from God's judgment but penal substitution and atonement make the judge our savior so so here he is we're going to see this in this text the judge is coming but but it's a forethought a foreview of what he's going to do so this judge becomes the savior and that's what atonement is about the lord jesus christ now It stands as such a glorious picture to us as Christians because we realize that somebody had to stand in our place. Something had to die. The wages of sin is death. Somebody has to die. And so as we look at this, again, being a view of something greater that's going to come, we're reminded of this substitutionary atoning work that points to the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul says this, For Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed. And he's talking about the sacrifice of our lives. So he uses Christ our Passover. So when anytime we study the Passover, we can't just stop, Oh, wasn't that a beautiful ceremony? It wasn't that a wonderful thing God did there. This is looking forward to the great finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we go through this, um, I certainly will make application to it as we look towards the cross in it. But I think if you're, if you're a believer and you know your Bible at all and you know the gospel at all, as we read through these verses and start to look at it, I think you're going to go, wow, man, does that picture Christ. Wow, does that, does that resemble what the Lord is going to do? And I hope as you study this, you learn to be able to look at this Old Testament text with those New Testament lenses and see that fulfilled there uh, as well. Now, Today we want to look at this first Passover. And this is uh, not God's final plan for eternal salvation. This is not going to save the Israelites for eternity. But it is going to stop death of the firstborn if they believe God and they sacrifice something innocent in their place. And this would mark the very first Passover. Let's look at a couple of thoughts tonight. Number one, God's people begin to worship corporately. God's people begin to worship corporately. Look at verses one through three with me. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all of the congregation of Israel, saying on the 10th of this month, they they are each one to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, in Exodus 12, we find instruction that's related to the first Passover. And, and this is the first real corporate gathering of God's people that's recorded. For 400 years, they have not been allowed to go out and worship. That would have been an offense to the nation of Egypt. They probably would have slayed them if they got together and offered sacrifices, um, particularly of animals that they worshiped. So this is what we see recorded as the first major gathering of this nation of Israel to worship God. Now, once Israel settled into the land, uh, they will uh, do things just a little different. The Passover will not quite be the same. For instance, the Passover um, was at one time here celebrated in homes, but as they get into the land, they'll celebrate it at the tabernacle. It'll become a national feast. Uh, eventually, they'll uh, celebrate it at the temple. Um, in af- but after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, they actually returned back to celebrate it in their homes. And even today, many Orthodox Jews celebrate Passover in their homes by themselves. But there are certain things that um, would not be around as they moved into the land. As they moved into the promised land, they would not be playing painting blood on the doorposts. They wouldn't be eating a meal in haste any longer. Um, They wouldn't be wearing traveling clothes with them tucked into their belt ready to to go. These things would have changed. But this passage, this passage is to remind us of the great Event, the final atoning work of of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll see some of those aspects as we read down to this. I I think we are to be ready as we think about the Lord. We're to be ready when He calls us to go do something to obey Him. I think there's aspects of that that we can translate into that. Now, notice in verse one that the Bible doesn't tell us uh, when this took place. Uh, Somewhere along the line, they got this instruction and. And it had to be before the 10th day of the month because they needed to have all this stuff done by then, right? So they needed, they needed this instruction to kind of prepare for this Passover. It was probably, my thoughts, that it may have taken place during those three days. In chapter 10, verse 22, you see where um, there was three days of darkness, but, but there was light in the households of the nation of Israel. We, as we talked about this before, we believe that to be the glory of God, the kind of glory of God gave them light when the rest... Of Egypt was in the darkness and it was probably there would be my thoughts that probably these instructions went out at that time now we also see when God intervenes in a in a great way in the life of Israel he often marks it on their calendar and what's unique about this as you see this in this very first couple of verses here is that this first Passover would now become the start of their calendar year before this their calendar year started at harvest time so they, they about the end of September, early October, that's where their start of their year was. It was at this point, and that's interesting that God would do this, at this point God says, no, I'm going to change this. This is where the beginning of your calendar year will start with Passover. Look at verse 2. He speaks to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month they are, to, they are, each one of them, to take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Well, the first month in in the Israel calendar was called Abib. Um, And that that was the Hebrew name for it. When they went into captivity to Babylon, they picked up some different language and they changed the name to Nisan. And so it became the 10th of Nisan. But the time of the Passover has been consistent throughout there. We still um, set our Easter by that time um, even today. That's why Easter moves around just a little bit for us. Notice in verse 3, he uses the word congregation. This is another word is the first time we see this word used in the scriptures. And it strictly refers to a people gathering together at any point of time uh, for particular religious services or, or religious purposes. And in verse 3, it's used for the first gathering of the nation of Israel to corporately worship God. This is a time when they have, they're going to come together and do something with one accord for the glory of God and for their own protection. Now remember, the Levitical tribe has not been raised up at this point. You still um, have the heads of home functioning as the priests of the, of the home. And, and so they are, to, they are giving instructions how to lead. Now, Four days before the Passover, the head of the home, if you notice in verse 3 here, would select an animal to be slain. And and there are several reasons, I think, for this four-day preparation. There's about 600,000 heads of home or leaders in the families that were able to go to war. So this could represent up to 600,000 different homes. Well, that's a lot of lambs, right? That's a lot of animals, and four-day leadway helps you get ready for something, and uh, this is a lot of lambs giving their lives uh, for these people's protection. It also, in, in the selection process of the lamb, this would allow them to inspect the animal to make sure that it was unblemished, that it did not have spot or a broken leg. It, remember, it was supposed to be a perfect lamb. We'll look at that just in a little bit. But it also allowed these families to be able to have conversation. And I think that's fascinating that God would have them select a lamb on the 10th of Nisan or Abib and then the lamb would not be slaughtered till the 14th so this lamb would remain with them. And just think about the conversation that would go on about this lamb in their home. And I think God and his lamb, his lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, Desire to be commonplace, to have conversation about the atoning work of Christ. So you can imagine this, families, uh, you know, hey, we got this little lamb, he's one years old, he's beautiful, he's got no spot or limps or, you know, he's male, he's one years old and, and he's gonna live with us for a few days and then he's going to die for us. What an amazing conversation that must have came about as God did this. He wants his people to discuss his atoning work. It would have been easy, though they did not understand the greater picture of Christ coming to be that final lamb, they would have known that this lamb is going to deliver us from that death angel. Can you imagine the conversations that took place there? If we don't, son, daughter, family, if we don't slay this lamb and paint it on the doorpost, we will die. For our sins and our unbelief in God. So I think God was doing amazing things. If you go all the way forward and you find John the Baptist, I think in John chapter 1, verse 29, somewhere around there, um, John the Baptist sees Jesus Christ. Remember this? And he shouts out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What a statement. Now, Now think about, since Exodus 12, there's been millions of lambs slaughtered every year in remembrance of Passover. So at worst-case scenario, when John the Baptist pointed Jesus out and called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, at, at least maybe a dad would have had to explain to his son, well, I'm not sure completely why that man's calling that, but what it means is that he says that man is going to be a sacrifice for someone else. That, they would have known that. They would have understood that. And just think about the conversations that would come about that. And, and, and friends, that should be our conversations. Every time we have a chance to gather, we should be talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We should be thinking about him. We talked about this this week. Meditating on him, dwelling on him. He took our, our deserved wrath. His blood was spilt and, and death was passed over for us. So this should strike much conversation. And I think God allowed that. In this home, yes, it took time to find six hundred thousand homes a lamb uh, and prepare for that, um, but it allowed for great conversation about what God was about to do. Remember, they've already seen Him nine times bring tremendous plagues that nobody could explain outside of that there is a there is a great God greater than all the other gods who would do these things. Second thought: living with the perfect lamb, living with a perfect lamb. Look at verse 4 with me. Now if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his neighbors nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them according to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Well, later on, the Jews established a practice that, uh, interesting enough, that 10 adults <laughs> uh, could participate in a Passover meal. Oh, we're at 10 now, aren't we? Um, but anyway, they, they passed that so that they would be able to raise lambs that could feed 10 adults plus children uh, very easily. But at the first Passover, they were to choose uh, an animal um, in size that was proportional to those who would be in their home. Now that might include one family or, or maybe there was a smaller family next door. Uh, those would be able to come and, and have the Passover with them. And, and you understand why God's doing this. God's goal was to have as little leftover as possible. See, the lamb was to be able to provide for everyone in that household. Provide for covering, blood on the doorpost, and also provide for them as a meal. In fact, I think what God is doing here is he's showing that Christ is enough. There doesn't need to be anything left over. You don't have to get Christ more or more lamb later for more protection. He is setting it up so that they realize that this slaughtered lamb, its blood, and the meal that they're about ready to partake is enough. I think we see that realized in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is enough for us, isn't he? Look at verse 5. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. Do not um, You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Well, what the Bible is saying here is that the animal was to be the best the worshiper could afford, the best the worshiper could find. Uh, lamb and goat are often the same Hebrew word um, in the Old Testament. Uh, they're different than the little fuzzy, you know, Lawnmowers that you see today that, that eat grass really short and as cattle people don't like. Uh, got lost in that one. Um, the, these were a little more of a goat-sheep-looking animal, and when you see them, they're still in the Middle East, and they're still called goat or sheep in particular, so um, don't, don't, don't go down that line too far. This was an animal that they knew what it was, and they knew how to select it. And so uh, this animal was to be one years old. It was to have no defect. It was to be perfectly healthy. and, And absent of any physical blemishes that you could see, if it was to be offered appropriately to the Lord. Now, what God is doing here is he's establishing the impeccability of the sacrifice, right? So I want a perfect lamb that will die in your place. Well, again, it isn't hard to make the connection, is there, to the impeccability of the Lord Jesus Christ? Just listen to some of these verses that speak about our Savior and His impeccability. Second Corinthians five twenty-one: He made Him now. Listen to this: Who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf? And of course, the verse goes on to talk about the gaining of His righteousness. But the, it's a clear statement: He He knew no sin. He He is sinless. Hebrews chapter four, verse, verse fifteen. Um, says that one who had been tempted in all things speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ as we are and then this little phrase right at the end of that verse yet without sin yet without sin Hebrews 7 26 the Bible says this of Jesus that he was holy innocent undefiled separate from sinners so he did not have our sin nature on him he took on our flesh and he was made like his brethren so he became incarnate but he did not get our sin nature. He was separate from that and he remained separate. Though he was tempted and tried in every way, he was always found without sin. First Peter just says, who committed no sin as it speaks of him as an example to us of how we live our lives. Who committed no sin and so we see the impeccability of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't love God, and you're an in, in Israeli and you're raised in the wilderness and so forth. Um, and you're starting to take on the pagan gods and pretty soon this became a real problem. Uh well we gotta we gotta get a lamb, but man, I don't want to give my best one. And so one of the things that we saw we see the nation do is they begin to crumble in their obedience to God from their heart. And this is why the law of of the Old Testament spoke about loving the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength because God knew that they would start to go through ritual. By the time you get to almost the captivity of the nation, um, you begin to see the prophets begin to speak about the laziness and the lack of care of selecting animals for sacrifices God would want. Malachi chapter 1 is a very interesting passage. I encourage you to read it. there. Malachi on behalf of God God speaking through the prophet is rebuking the nation because of their their laziness to bring animals in fact you'll see in the text that they bring animals that are better to government officials or priests uh, for for something else to gratify them than they are bringing to God himself and there Malachi strongly rebukes uh, the nation because their worship had become lazadazical it's a good challenge for us. Boy, in this time, I mean, could, could we get lazy as a church? Well, you know, we're just at home. Or, you know, do, Where do we see the Lord Jesus Christ as worthy of our best? Worthy of our best. Now, again, you could be legalistic in that. But, but if our hearts are right with God, um, we choose to give Him our best, our, our best singing, our best study. Uh, I hope to each Sunday bring you, and Wednesday bring you my best study because I love the Lord. And I hope you bring your best ears to be hearers and doers of the word of God as we listen to it. That's what God wants. Even as you get to Jesus, we, we've been working through this in Mark. And we saw this in Mark chapter 11 and 12 as he comes into, the, to the, he comes into Jerusalem under the great triumphal entry. And then he goes to the temple and he inspects it and sees what's happening. And he leaves that night and the next morning comes in and He boy does he clean out the temple. And there they were probably had got back to inspecting that the lambs were of unblemished in one year's and something like that, because that was what happened between judgment. They the Pharisees had arisen, the Sanhedrin had arisen to make sure those things were happening. But they may have got the animal right in an unblemished animal, but what they began doing was now selling it for profit. And it became this lucrative business for the leaders of the Sanhedrin. and so when Jesus comes in and wipes them out and, and turns over tables and chases them out of there, it's because not because they were not sacrificing probably good animals, it's because now their hearts were so wicked, they went to it as having something to make money, to, to have power and authority over the people. So man left to himself really struggles with honoring God, and Jesus calls them a, a den of robbers um, at the end of that. But there can be no mistake, though. There can be no mistake when we get to the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ that Exodus 12 is pointing, that Jesus is absolutely flawless. He is the perfect sacrifice for us. We, we are doomed if he isn't, right? Uh, and, and Remember, the Bible says he came once and for all. His sacrifice and his person was so perfect that he doesn't have to come back again. He doesn't go, well, you know, it's been about 2,000 years. Scott's really blowing it down there. I better make another run down there. No, no, no. He was the perfect lamb. He was the perfect lamb for us. And so we know this. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile ways of life inherited from your fathers. We pass down bad religion, bad theology, right? But he says, you've been, hit, you've been redeemed by the very precious blood. And then he says this, Peter does, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Let's not forget he is that perfect lamb. So for four days this this lamb in Exodus twelve here would be with this family. And they would look after this lamb. And oh the conversations that this lamb was going to die. I, I don't know about you, Americans probably wouldn't do really good with this. You know, we bring home dogs and cats and you know there's the firstborn and then maybe the, the animal. I, the way people treat them, uh, small, small animal veterinarians you know, love the love that Americans have for their pets because they'll spend anything on them. So can you imagine saying, hey, yeah, we brought home little Mr. Fuzzy here, uh, but we're going to kill him here in a few days. No, this has been difficult. Uh, so now he's with them for four days. Look at verse 6 with me. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So at sundown, all of these lambs are to be killed. And the goal here in the wording of this was, and they figured out a timing for this. um, They called it between the the days. Um, There's some Hebrew language there about between the day and the night, which we call twilight. That was when these animals were to die. die. Later, the Jews moved it back to between three and five where they would sacrifice this uh, Passover lamb. But each family at the same time, which is really interesting, although they're separated in their homes, (laughs) because that's what's happening here. It's corporate worship, but not together. I want to, oh, we got a good point here running here. There's corporate worship going on, but not together. They're all to sacrifice this lamb at the same time to worship God by the death of this lamb and the painting of this blood on the doorpost and and the eating and consuming of this lamb. They're supposed to do it at the exact same time, corporately, worshiping God together, even though they're in different homes. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? And so this congregation of God's people was to trust in this blood of of this lamb to protect them, And, and this entire congregation separated, viewing this all as one act, One act, a group act by the nation of Israel. 600,000 homes somewhere around that all acting together to worship God. You know, I was studying this today and I got to this point and I I just really stopped and thanked the Lord for that. It's discouraging to me. I've struggled being away from you. Um, I've tried to... Uh, not show that too much, but I, I'm heavy hearted with with the separation of the church. I understand just a little bit of what John was when he was banished to the island of Patmos, and I miss you. I want to be with you. You're 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 my life. You're my calling, and 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 so as I read this, I thought, Oh Lord, I needed to hear this. I needed to hear that way back in Exodus 12, God's people were doing one act together. In great worship to God, though they were separated in their own homes. Isn't that interesting? You can't make this stuff up. Uh, we can't hit this text at, at times like this. The Lord helps us see these things. I found great encouragement from that. That we can, with one voice, though we may be in separate homes, uh, during this time we can worship the Lord. And the nation proved it here. Chap- uh, number three. Number three, our third thought. The Lamb's blood in a heart of obedience. Uh, Hayward and the band often lead us in a song, and it's an older song that most of us know, called Wonderful, Merciful Savior. The chorus says this, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of man? Who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the souls of man? I, I have always loved that song. It always endeared me to my savior, that, as I think of that lamb. Who would have thought that's the way God would, would redeem his fallen, highest creation, man, through a lamb. Not just the lambs that were foreshadowing of something to come, but the lamb, the final lamb. And so I found great comfort in that. So look at verse 7 with me. Moreover, they were to take some of the blood. This is from the lamb here. This is how the lamb was going to rescue them. Take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they would eat. And So you can see it real clearly, right? Uh, Blood on this side, on this side of the doorpost and across the top and doesn't take hard to kind of see <laughs> the imagination of the cross there that was coming, and so this Passover lamb was uh, handled uh, in, a, in a unique way. He was chosen to die for this for this family, this firstborn that would have been slain if it wasn't put there. Who would have thought that a lamb could do that? Now, the Passover was handled differently. Um, than all the other sacrifices that God had them do. This lamb would have its blood put over the door frames of their dwelling. And doubtlessly, there were many homes throughout Egypt. If you, if we go back and just look, I tried to see what their homes were made of. Most of them were made of adobe and clay and wood framed, and you know, and they put them together. And it was just a common way of building homes at the time, so... Let me at least think this. Most of the homes probably looked somewhat alike. Uh, maybe the Egyptian homes were a little more wealthier in some cases, but they all would have looked alike. But the distinguishing mark between the pagan home and God's people home was blood. <laughs> that was the distinguishing mark. And, and Israel's home were, were protected from the destroyer to enter in and, and slay the firstborn. And you think about this death angel He's instructed to make no decisions about who dies and who lives. The angel only reacts, now think about this, to the absence of the blood. He moves through the land. He reacts only when there is no blood there. He passes over, that's where we get our term, Passover. He passes over, the blood is there, he does not react. He is only charged to react when there is not blood. Wow. And, and, and so, so true for us as Christians. Um, the Lord does not charge us, does not give us the wages of our sin, which is death, when we are marked by the Christ's blood, his blood-bought children. And he has shown us that in his word. So God sees his son's blood in the payment for it on his children. They must have executed this. I want to show you a passage in Hebrews chapter 11 real quickly, because this is written about Moses, but I I think it gives a very clear illustration of of what the nation did, because the Bible will say, we'll see later here, um, that none of the Israelites died. So at least in this case, we know it's not going to always be the case, all of the nation obeyed God's command. But look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11, what we often call the hall of faith or the triumph of faith uh, here. Um, Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 and following. By faith, when, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Remember this? We talked about this. Choosing rather to, to the, uh, endure the ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Consider it, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. We, You know we've talked about these verses before because... He could see that God was going to bring some kind of sacrifice for him, for he was looking forward to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, for fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured it as seeing him who is unseen. There's the reference to the burning bush. Now, listen to this. By faith, he and, and the nation of Israel, because none of them die, so they all kept it, by faith, they kept the Passover and, they, and the sprinkling of the blood. So that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. So, so Moses is the one recorded in the faith here. And he's really, again, he's a type and, and he's often spoken of for the nation here. But that's what he did. They, they believed God. They believed what he said. And they were passed over and they did not fall under that judgment. Look at verse 8 with me. They shall eat of the flesh that same night, roast it with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now, with the blood marked on the door post, they were to partake in a very reverent way the, the eating of this lamb. Uh, the explanation of unleavened bread we'll get to in verse 14, but I think the bitter herb is worth just talking for just for a moment. I think that bitter herb was a reminder of what they've been through the last 430 years. We'll see at the end of the text and when, when God brings them out. It, he'll say it's been, it was 430 years they had been there since Joseph had brought Jacob and the brothers into Egypt. It was a bitter time for many of those years. There was a pharaoh that arose who did not know Joseph. And, and so I think the bitter herb probably refers to that. And possibly, and we'll look at this next week when we get into the, to the unleavened bread. The bread probably, the unleavened bread most likely refers to something that takes place in Egypt. Most likely sin. Look at verses 9 and 10 with me. Do not eat any of it raw. Or boiled at all with water, but rather roast it with fire, both its legs and its head and its legs, along with its entrails. And you shall not leave any of it over until morning, but whatever is left over until morning, you shall burn it with fire. At a later time, meat um, that was sacrificed to the Lord could be boiled, but never the Passover, never the Passover. The Passover was always to be roasted with fire. You will see later as the law is given that they were to pull out the fat that would accumulate around some of the organs, predicted around the kidneys and and so forth. It's the sweetest fat on an animal. If you ever have killed an animal, you want that fat. You want them to grind that into your hamburger or whatever. It is a very sweet fat. It grows there. That was to be offered to the Lord. We actually see um, Abel offer that in Genesis to God. I mean, so all along he has done that. So I think what, what I think God is doing here in having them roast it with fire is that it consumes that fat. Um, and, that, and that was said to be a sweet aroma to the Lord. So they were not to boil that, they were to roast that. What is clear is that God took very great care in flawless instructions so that they would not mishandle This Passover lamb. Remember, this is a picture of something greater to come. And so he laid this down so it would point forward. Certainly the Lord Jesus Christ on the road of Emmaus with those disciples after his resurrection, it says the Bible, Jesus said he took them back and talked about all the things that were pointed to him through the law, the prophets, and the psalms, and so forth. Doubtlessly he came to this and said, did you not understand that was about me? And so So there's flawless instruction given here because God wants us to point forward to the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice this lamb was to be fully consumed. Fully consumed. Um, They thought Jesus was crazy when he related himself as the bread of life and that they were to consume him. This is what God had taught. We are to be consumed with Jesus Christ. And this message was going forward. Look at verse 11. Now you shall eat it in this manner with your loins girded and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand you shall eat it in haste it is the lord's passover now it's clear that that the greatest value of this lamb was its blood and its protection from the destroyer but the lamb was also necessary for daily life uh, i got thinking about this quite a bit they were to be ready they were to be ready to go the idea of the text is that they were to have their garments tucked in. Remember they wore long robes, a very different dress in this time and, and very hard to run in a full length dress or robe. They were to pull that up and put it inside their belt so that they could move quickly. The staff is a different word than, than what we see the staff of Moses had. It's a walking stick type thing. So they were to eat this thing ready to go. And so this lamb, think about this lamb. This lamb was not only uh, the greatest was, of it was the blood on the doorpost to protect them, uh, but it's also nourishment for them. They are getting ready to, one, plunder the nation of Egypt. they got to go house to house, get all their silver and gold, and then they got to start walking in the desert with everything they own. And, and so he says, I want you to consume this thing. It's also for your daily life. No, it's not fun to think about. I think Jesus is for our daily life, Right? Second um, Peter talks about that, that he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. I think life is the daily, I mean, uh, life is salvation. The godliness is the daily stuff. In Christ Jesus, we, we have everything we need. And so they were to consume that. It was to help their strength. They were to have a full belly and, and ready to go follow the Lord. I pray that as you study your Bibles and you listen to sermons, that, that spiritually you're filled. You're, you're taking in digesting the truth uh, and it causes you to be ready so this meal was not to be eaten in fear it was to be eaten with confidence we're going we're following our God he's releasing us from this place he has a plan for us and they were to not be in fear they were to eat with confidence that you see this don't let anything left nourish yourself let's go I'm taking you out and so there's a readiness that is there. Finally, just in verse 11, the end of verse 11 here, before we look at our last point, notice he says it's the Lord's Passover. The Lord's Passover. Well, the language points to the animal, not the feast. When you study that text, you break it down, it, be, it really shows you he's pointing to that animal. And here we realize that this first, accord, uh, this first time, he's pointing to this lamb. That is the center of all that's going on. Yeah, it was family together and they got this little guy and he lived with them and all of that, but the the centerpiece was that lamb. And God wants that to be the centerpiece of all that we do. Um, This is why we say we believe God is crystal-centric. He loves to proclaim his son. He points towards his son. That was his plan for us to recognize his son, repent and follow him. And so he is the center of the Passover and he's the center of a Christian's life. Number four, the execution of judgment leads to death for some and life to others. Look at these verses with me, verses 12 and 13, and these will be our final verses. For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on your house where you live. And when I see it, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Well, these two verses represent two very different outcomes of the Passover. One group is going to suffer the wages of sin and it'll be due. There's going to be death in every home. In every barn, there will be death. There's another group that the blood of the lamb Would bring them grace, would bring them mercy. But it's interesting, death actually hits both groups. I don't know if you catch that. With one group, they lost their firstborn, they lost their first cattle and lambs and sheep and whatever else, the beast of the field. But this group lost the lamb, which is really an amazing thought. Some people say, well, they didn't suffer death. No, they suffered death, they suffered death of that lamb. And that's an amazing thought. That's what substitutionary death is about. That's what atonement is about. Later they're going to be there when Leviticus 16 takes place in the day of atonement. And, And there the priest was to transfer the sin of the nation onto that lamb. And that lamb was to have its throat slit and bled out. And that blood was to be taken to the altar on propitiation and atoning work for the nation. That lamb was going to die for them. The other one would be led astray to prove that their sins were forgiven temporarily for that year. But something died, and I, I don't want you to miss that. People often say, well, yeah, we, there was no death. We don't see death. Well, we don't in a way, but someone had to see death for us. And that's why this picture is so clear of the toning work of Jesus Christ. The wage of sin is death. And we tell people it is because my Savior died for me, He died for me. So somebody had to die because of my sins. By the grace of God, it wasn't me. I will never see the second death because Jesus died in my place. And so yes, there are two groups here. Uh, One is a bitter death, isn't it? It's a bitter death. Could you imagine the screams? We'll see this in the coming weeks here and and the sorrow that must have went up from, from the land of Egypt. Though a pagan nation and godless and rejecting the living God, our hearts go out for this. We don't like to see death. And God says he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But on the other hand, how grateful they must have been for that lamb. As they're leaving Egypt, think about this, we'll look at this in coming weeks, and there's so much tear and so much anguish, so much hurting in the land. Do you think they were thinking about that lamb possibly? How grateful they were of the blood of that lamb. See, I think that's the mark of a Christian. Notice in verse 12 he says, And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. Well, first of all, there are no real other gods. um, Only what sinful minds produce and then fall prey to that. However, this false thinking and religious worship permeated Egypt in every which way. And so this is why God speaks this way. Second, I also think what he's doing is he's exposing the gods of Egypt were nothing more than just a very demonic, dark power and working of Satan. So in a way, God was showing that he had power not only over the Egyptians, but he also had power over Satan and his forces. This was a godless nation. This was a nation that lived in the darkness of sin. They they were into the occults and all those things that rejected a living God. And so God says, look, I i am going to have victory i am going to win i will beat all the gods of egypt and i will execute my judgment upon them and in the end god exposes the complete failure of egypt and satan to try to kill his seed because that's ultimately what this is about isn't it kill christ kill that promised one in Genesis 3:15. Do not let him get to that cross. Do not let him finish what God promised he would do. This was the goal. And so here as this nation is going to soon we'll see Trump out of Egypt leaving them totally bankrupt and sobbing in their sorrow and then eventually wipe out their army. The seed of the Lord Jesus Christ is going with them. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And that's God's great protection. And that's what he told before these plagues started. In Exodus chapter six, verse one, the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Boy, did he do it. He's a God of his word. You can trust him. Last verse, and we'll quit with this. Look at verse 13. The blood shall be a sign for you on the house where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. It's interesting, God's speaking here. We know it's a death angel. Is it a pre-incarnate Christ? Uh, who is this that's coming through here? Who's this judge? And no plague will befall you. Nine of them haven't. They haven't really suffered greatly. They went through a few early, but not the way the Egyptians are. He's, he's protected them through these. No plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Clearly, the Lord's presence in Egypt involves more than just judgment. He will proclaim protection and deliverance of his people. I like this. I like this. We're seeing some hard times in our world right now. Three or four thousand people died just in America yesterday. Loved ones who can't even get to their family as they pass away. In many cases, they suffer and die alone or with nurses by their side. I mean, um, sad, isn't it? But God is with his believers. And this text reminds us that he does not allow death to come to us if he does not choose it to be. The Bible says he's ordained our days before there were one. He has control of all those things. And and this text reminds us that he has provided a way for us not to see that eternal death. Oh, friend, don't fear regular death. Just first death if you're a believer. (laughs) Don't fear that. The Lord's got that all handled. and He's going to take you through that shadow of death. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be extremely afraid of the second death. That's the one where he will cast you away from himself into a place reserved for Satan and his angels, a place of fire and gnashing of teeth and so forth. It is not a place that you would ever want to be. But you will need God to bring you to Repentance. You'll need God to plunge faith into your heart so you can repent. And that's what he did for us. And so this final verse reminds us that God keeps us safe. He does not let us fall into the death that that most men fall into. Most mankind falls into the second death. He's there to protect us. And this is all gonna flush out completely in the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Passover lamb. He's the final lamb. No more. No need. But consume him. Consume him. Hide behind his blood in a sense. Stand behind his blood and say, Jesus died for me. And he freed me from my sins. And I no longer believe that I will die eternally. But because of his blood for me, I will rest in the inheritance of my God and Savior. What a beautiful thing. It's so fun to study this. Isn't this all pointing forward, all looking forward to that that Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I hope you enjoy this lesson. We'll continue in this passage um, next week. We'll look forward to seeing you soon. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. We we need this, Lord. somewhat of an overwhelming time for us, Lord. We are human, we are but dust. We are very limited in what we can see and know, Lord. You, you know every life, you know those who are passing, even at this moment, whether from this virus or from something else, you, you know all that, but we don't, Lord. And so we find ourselves with a bit of anxiety at times, a bit of uh, concern, Lord, what's going on. Even frustration at times, Lord. But you are in control. (laughs) And you have a greater plan. And you love your bride. You have rescued us. You've dressed us in white. You've adorned us with your righteousness. And so we may suffer at some level. But you will take care of your bride. Each and every one of us individually. But also corporately to bring us to yourself someday. And so Lord, we pray that through these trying times, we will run to the lamb. We will stand behind his blood and know that we're forgiven. And what can man or viruses or anything else do to us who know our Lord Jesus Christ? And so we, with humble confidence, thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the lamb of God who took away our sins so that we would have an eternal inheritance. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.